Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Great. Good. You know, I kind of noticed, like, no one sat over here. We're hanging out over here, and people are like, I don't know, like equidistant from the middle. So anyhow, I guess everybody sort of figured out that I would be kind of speaking or whatever from this side of the room. Who knows? But funny how we are. You know, it's, it only takes us like a week to figure out which seat is ours. We're going to probably sit there for the next, you know, 30 years. <laughs> it is awesome to be together. Thanks for coming this morning. I know it's a little bit, uh, a little bit more treacherous than usual, but I know, you know, we're Vermonters. I mean, we laugh at ice. We laugh at the weather, right? It's like this is this is nothing for us. Actually, it's actually pretty beautiful. And I know, uh, I know, you know, that ice can be a little deceptive because you know you kind of go out, kind of thinking you don't really see it, and then all of a sudden you're, uh, you know, you're on your butt. So time uh, almost goes for me this morning. Thanks for coming. We're going to spend some great time uh, in the scriptures this morning, and I really pray that uh, you'll be encouraged and lifted up. And feel a little bit more ready for the week ahead, you know, as we, uh, uh, you know, as we uh, spend time together this morning. So let's pray together and uh, let's really ask God to just, you know, in, in a really special way, in a personal way, to really bless this time together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so, so much for a brand new day. Yeah. Father, thank you uh, for bringing us together, Father, in a warm place with electricity, with uh, fellowship, with... Um, Father, with one another, Father, it's really an honor, Father, to uh, get together and just sing. Father, it's not—it's not really any other time during the week that we get a chance just to come and with 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 fellow believers and just uh, sing and pray together and open up the scriptures and learn together. Father, I, I know that the scriptures, in so many ways, were bought at a price. Father, there's so much, there's so many faithful prophetess, prophets and prophetesses that, that Father have gone before us that. Literally shed their blood so that we could know you, so that we could have the, the words of wisdom from God to be able to guide us and help us uh, to live lives of meaning and, uh, Father, to live the lives that you designed us for. Father, I pray that your spirit would work powerfully through the scriptures this morning. Father, help us to really grab hold of what you have for us individually and as a community this morning. Father, help us to be better more equipped uh, for life and, and uh, the week ahead. As we study the Word this morning, Father, really use this time as we open up the Scriptures, uh, Father, to uh, be guided by your Spirit. We love you, and uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 1. So last week, you know, we talked about having the greatest year ever. All right. And I know sometimes, you know, about a week into the greatest year ever, we're starting already to sort of doubt. Like, you know, we start to wonder, okay, I had all these big dreams... And, oh, man, were they dumb dreams? Why did I even dream that? You know, or am I, am I really able to rise to that? I had, you know, out of maybe some of us, out of the last, you know, seven days, we had, you know, three, four, five difficult days. And so, um, and so you know, we kind of start to wonder, should I even set that goal, you know, or had that dream? And, uh, you know, but yet Jesus really talks about having... Having, uh, you know, having that kind of vision for our lives, that kind of faith for our lives, that we really can strive, and that we're going from strength to strength, that with God's Spirit, there's nothing we can't overcome. With Jesus' training, literally it's kind of crazy, but because with Jesus' training, we can overcome anything. Think about what's holding you back. Think about the challenges, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that you're having. Jesus faced them all. And oftentimes, times, you know, times... 
a thousand times a million about, of, of what we're facing. And so when we go to him to really be trained in life and trained in how to build relationships, how to serve God, how to find the, the meaning of life, how to find our voice in life, that Jesus is, is the perfect coach. <clears throat> Jesus is the perfect trainer. He's the perfect uh, life coach for us. But we just got to keep going back to him. And remember, hearing his words and putting it into practice. Mm-hmm. Jesus makes a massive promise that if we will simply do that, if we will literally, you know, uh, every day throughout the day, hear his words and, his, and then put them into practice in big ways and small ways, we're going to dig down deep, we're going to lay our foundation on rock, and we're going to be able to face any challenge that comes our way. But we've got to do our part. You know, and, and keep that kind of that hearing and that practicing habit really developing in our lives. So last week we talked about Jesus moments. And we shared about, you know, some favorite Jesus moments for us. As we think about, you know, what we read about Jesus doing in the Gospels, and we think about something that really resonates with us, when we think about, you know, the accounts of Jesus interacting with people, going through challenges and struggles himself, you know, there's certain passages oftentimes that really resonate with us. And you, and you go, wow, that really speaks to me. That really helps me. And, and it, we kind of associate that with, you know, a lot of with how we see Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's important to us. And we talked about maybe going back to that and rereading that and letting that kind of be a guide for us as we're thinking about the new year. Because, because those scriptures tend to kind of touch a place inside of us and inspire us in kind of a special way. Mm-hmm. Was there any other, anybody else here that kind of wanted to share one of their favorite Jesus moments? That didn't get a chance to last week, or something you kind of thought of throughout the week, that kind of uh, kind of uh, hits you as you're going through the week. Is there anybody here that kind of wanted to share a Jesus moment? Yeah, Rob. All right. I, I felt like the first one that popped in my head. I was I, I didn't end up sharing it, but it was the uh, Mary Martha moment, which I, I don't know if the sisters often feel like they can claim that as their own. <laughs> I I, I, I often feel like. I can see myself being in the position of, like, just settle down. You're doing all the stuff, but you're not getting the real point. Mm. And I'm like, okay. Right. You mean, like, where he tells Martha, like, you're worried upset about many things kind of thing? But yes. As compared to Mary, who is... Mary's just sitting at the, at the feet of Jesus listening, right. and Martha's worried about her busyness of trying to prepare the meal or whatever it was that she was doing, which right. somebody maybe had to do it, but I think she was missing the point in her heart. Right. frustrated with her sister. Mm-hmm. I think for, for myself, it's just the business of life. I'm mm-hmm. feeling like that's, it takes me away from sitting at Jesus' feet. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And I think probably most of us are kind of wired like that, where we you know, find ourselves kind of running after, scurrying after you know, all this stuff <clears throat> when he says only one thing is needed, where he's chosen what is better. Yeah, it's so inspiring. It's so comforting, it's just to be able to feel like it's kind of the, the one thing. If I can, if I can do good at that, then probably I'm going to be able to do good at all the other stuff as well. Mm. That's great. Someone else have their hand up over here. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, uh, I stubbed my toe, and it was yes. the worst feeling in the world. And I was just like so unloving. Like I didn't stand or yell, but I was so not in a loving mood at all. And I started thinking about, like, when Jesus was on the cross, going through way more <laughs> <laughs> You know what? That's what I connected with. <laughs> still love it. You know, like, there were so many right. examples to the prisoner, uh, to the thieves next to him, to his mom, to, you know what I mean? And, like, 
I went through a millionth of that, and I failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> so true. How did he do that? How did he? How was he on the cross experiencing that kind of that kind of abandonment and that kind of I don't know that, that experience? And yet he's still he's still loving people. So I'm going to remember that the next time I stub my toe. <laughs> but it's true. There's so many little things that get us going that in the, in the grand scheme of things are so small. Yeah, Carl. It wasn't exactly a Jesus moment, but I was reading through Job this week. And um, one of the things that struck me, I guess I, maybe other people have seen it, but I've never really noticed this. As the disasters are happening to Job, the last one involving his children, where he has been sacrificing after their feasting, the servant, the messenger comes and says, I saw, you know, a wind came by and struck all four corners of the house. And, you know, for Job, to see some, I mean, for wind to strike all four corners of a house and crush it, <laughs> right, that is supernatural. You know, that's much like when you look at the plagues of Egypt, right? When you get down to the later ones, there's not an explanation anymore. It's not like, okay, well, these are frogs or that's this. This is the very hand of God, right? Even mm-hmm. as like Pharaoh's advisors are like, okay, it's just getting beyond us. And the thought is, is like for Job, how does he process that? Because he doesn't know what's going on in heaven, yet now he's faced with a series of disasters that he had dreaded, but then the very supernatural one that takes his kids from him, the very thing that he was really concerned about, because making a point that he's really sacrificing for them, and it's, that's Mm. it. Like, whoa. You know? Mm. So just like the power of God and, and kind of God working supernaturally like that? In, in the Well, I think it was more not so much the power of God, uh, but the fact that like Jesus trusted himself to the Father, mm. he surrendered himself. In the same way, Job is put in this position now where he does not know whether this is God's wrath or God's plan. He is living in a complete absence of information, but he has to still trust his relationship with God. And he doesn't charge him with wrongdoing. That's mm. mm. true. So true. You know, sometimes I think about Jesus on the cross, and the only thing they could really accuse him of is he trusts in God. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like their great accusation. Let's, let's see what God does now. But that's that entrusting, that handing over is such a such a challenge but it's such a key part of of our faith yeah I think um, whenever I think of favorite Jesus moments if I just the instant things that come to mind are ones that show Jesus's emotions mm. I don't know why those resonate but mm. like when he um, when he sees Lazarus who's died and people weeping and he weeps mm. or um, when the 72 have come back and it, he, he says, Jesus, full of joy in the Holy mm. Spirit. It just feels so relatable. Yeah. Um, or when he looks at the rich man, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mm. Then he gives him the challenge of his life. You know? <laughs> right. um, but uh, I just love that feeling, that connection, that, mm. the depth that he's just genuinely, he's not just this son of God who's just, mm you know, making his way through life and being godly, but mm-hmm. he's deeply moved by circumstances that move us every day. Yeah. Uh, just, I feel connected to him when I yeah. those kind of verses. Totally. Totally. Maybe one more. Maybe I have one of the, the ladies here. I don't know if I'm... Okay. 
for me, something I thought of was uh, the situation when Jesus was with the woman at the well and how she was such an outcast from society. And so she's going to the well at a time when no one else is going to be there. And then she's kind of saying these half-truths to Jesus. is like, oh, I don't have a husband. And, and just kind of, it, to me, it seems like she has this mask on and trying to, trying to be more than she is or look like she's more than she is, but Jesus sees exactly who she is mm-hmm. and has no judgment yeah. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And all these things that <coughs> she not only potentially thought of herself, but were true. Like the mm-hmm. town was outcasting her, and she wasn't outcast in the town, but Jesus saw everything about her, mm-hmm. didn't judge her, loved her, and <coughs> used her exactly where she was at. Mm-hmm. And then she was able to be such a pivotal um, person in this town, and mm-hmm. the entire town is able to come to Jesus. Right. Because he just didn't judge her for who yeah. she was, and she was able to take off her mask and able to not be ashamed, and still called higher, but mm. not be ashamed of just who she was, mm. and still feel loved by Jesus, and so I think that love that he shows, despite who, who we really are, yeah. or mm. who, and who we're trying to hide ourselves um, from the world, Jesus sees right through it, and still yeah. loves Mm-hmm. So true. So true. And I think, and I think it's funny because you know, from from day to day, there's so many things that keep us from just going to Him to find that inspiration, to find that wisdom. But it's interesting to me because you know, just think about those kind of encounters. It wasn't, it wasn't a long thing. It wasn't in the temple. It wasn't in some holy place. It was next to a well. It was mm-hmm. Jesus just expressing His need. Hey, you know, can 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 you help me with some water? I'm thirsty, and it struck up a conversation that really that really activated something in her. That really kind of it kind of lit the fire in her in a way that was profound, but it was also so so like normal and real. And one of the things I really want to encourage us to do is is to give Jesus a chance to do that in our lives every day. Because it's a lot, I think a lot of times we when we think about having you know a, whatever a quiet time, or we're thinking about you know getting it out and studying our Bible, what have you, we kind of have in mind oftentimes something that something that um, I don't know something that requires either a lot of time or requires a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, depth of knowledge or what have you. It requires a special place. But I want to encourage us just just every day to get in the habit of just kind of opening up the Bible. And one of the things I love to do is just open up the Gospels in particular and just read. And maybe I just read a few, a few words. Maybe I, maybe I get a chance to read a longer, you know, a longer section of the Scriptures. And then I just try to, try to say, hey, what am I hearing today? What am I going to take away from this? But I find that you know, it's interesting because in the Gospels, it didn't take a long time for Jesus to profoundly yeah. help someone. And I think oftentimes we need help, but, but we're not just going and saying, even on the way, and just opening up the scriptures and, and inviting Jesus into our lives, because he really does understand. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to judge, he's not going to put us down, he's not going to put a label on us, he's going <coughs> to genuinely listen, and he can genuinely relate to, to what we're going through. Now here's the thing, the, the crazy thing is, so much of our religious upbringing, our religious idea... Is, is puts Jesus kind of in a place where he's not normal and he doesn't understand. 
And he kind of is in sort of a, more of a judgment place. We've got to kind of take him out of that and take him for who he is in, 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 the, in the scriptures, in the gospels, and, and go to him to get training in what I'm going through at work or what I'm going through in my marriage or what I'm going through, you know, in my family uh, and, and these kind of things. Because all of us are created for greatness. All of us are created. We're, we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're exceptional. We're, we're a mystery. We're a miracle. And in, in Jesus' words, in his, in his example, somehow, I don't know how he does it, but somehow kind of light the lamp or, you know, or, or inspire sort of that, that spirit in us to be able to, to take on the day better and better and better as we become more and more like him. And so much of what he's teaching us is how to live healthy, vibrant, fruitful lives. He's really just trying to help humans to be healthy in who they are and how they're, and how they're approaching life and, and who they are and who they were created to be. Look over in Genesis chapter 1. Today we're going to talk about this, um, the title of uh, our discussion today is Created for Greatness. Created for Greatness. You know, um, humans are amazing. You know, I think sometimes we get enamored by, uh, like, technology. Like, remember when you got the first iPhone and they had sort of that little, little like, like, you know, you could use your finger to sort of, like, what, are they, what do they call that? Swipe. Swipe, Swipe right? Okay, so, <laughs> I don't know the word for it, I just, I just do it. But it's funny, now, you see people with their phone, they're just like, you know, it's just like swiping or cross, whatever. Wasn't that like, wasn't that like mind-boggling when you first got, got that phone and you had that sort of technology? Like, how do they do that? Yeah. It's incredible. And you know, and we often look at technology, you know, like an iPhone or like a whatever phone you have or, you know, a tablet or whatever it might be, and we, we kind of stand in awe of it because we have no idea how it works. And something's going on in that box is kind of amazing. It does. <laughs> You know, humans literally are billions and billions times more complex and amazing mm-hmm. and extraordinary and incredible and awesome. Our potential is, is, is amazing. I think sometimes you just got to step back from it. Because think about what humans have capacity for. You have capacity to love. Where does that come from? I mean, that's such a God capacity. You know, rocks don't have that capacity. Other things don't have that capacity, but you do. Yeah. And humans can literally love someone or, you know, and, 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 and change that person, bond with that person, you know, share something in common with that person. But we can love, we can show empathy, we can forgive, we can care for, we can, we can, we can cry about. I mean, that's amazing. There's no iPhone out there that cries because it cares. <laughs> It's, it's, it's incredibly mysterious, but it's, but, but it's awesome. And it's an incredible capability. It's a superpower right. to love. In fact, Jesus is most known for being the one who loved. And being the prophet, being the, the spiritual leader you know, around the world, who's known for that one quality. He says the most important thing is love God. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Even love your enemy. Love transforms. It revolutionizes everything. And Jesus teaches us how to do that, even in the face of suffering, even in the face of opposition. But you, as a human being, have the capacity to love and to learn how to love. Mm -hmm. Think about your mind. Think about the capacity to think, Mm -hmm. to plan, to create, 
to, to, to grow, to learn. Think about the capacity, literally, to just kind of, you know, walk across a busy street. I was reading this thing about robots, how they haven't even, you know, they haven't even made a robot yet that can walk across a busy street, because there's so much going on in that one little, you know, 20 feet or 30 feet. You've got to consider who's coming at you. You've got to consider the cars that are coming at you. You've got to adjust. You've got to adjust your weight. You've got to be able to walk. You've got to be able to kind of, you know, think about all the different things that are happening around you as you try to navigate that short little street. But, but they can't even program a robot to do something like that. So that's your mind. How about your soul? How amazing is your soul? What's the price you put on your soul? Like, like, your soul is so valuable and so precious. And, 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 it's, and it's so mysterious in the sense of it was put there by God. We can't, we can't put it in a jar, but it's in you. You know, one time I uh, was with one of my best friends. I was literally holding him in his arms when he died. And I literally saw the life pass from him. And it's, it's such like a profound experience. But there's the same person in terms of the in terms of the physical part of the person, but it's a totally different person because the soul's not there anymore. The spirit's not there. The life's not there. Humans are amazing. So look over in, in uh, Genesis chapter one. I can just go on and on about that all day. So I think I've said Genesis one now six times. So let's, uh, let's try to go there. So created for greatness, Genesis chapter one and verse twenty six. Listen to this. It says. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God is creating humans right here. And it says he created us in his image. And then it, does, and then it says... He kind of commissioned them. I kind of see this as like, like the, great, the original Great Commission. He says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then it goes on down at the end. It says, The Lord looked at all he created and it was very good. Up to that point, of course, he said it was good. But then he, you know, he creates humans and he says it's very good. Very good. Because he was, because he created humans in his image. He created us for greatness. You know, so much of the effects of sin in our world, and the effects of sin in our lives, is that it really, it really ends up minimizing who we are. And we start to look at, we start to look at how weak we are. We start to look at how insignificant we are. We start to compare ourselves to others. We start to, you know, we start to compete with others. We start to get into those downward, sort of vicious cycles of sin that just make us just consider ourselves less and less, consider others less and less, and it becomes a world of just kind of, kind of beating, beating each other down and, and hating one another down and minimizing who we are. It's why it's so important that we go to God because God's our Creator. And, we, and, and God is the one who's saying to us, no, you were created for something special. You were created in my image. It doesn't matter what nationality. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter your age. It, it just matters that you're you. Mm-hmm. You were created to be something special by God himself. And there's so much about you 
There's so much capacity in you that was created for greatness. And so, and so God wants to tell us that. You know, I think, though, and so God says, you know, you're, you're, you're very good. And your potential for goodness and greatness is, is awesome. I love where he says here, too. It's almost like he says, hey, the world's your playground. Go have a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says that God created us, uh, you know, for, for enjoyment, mm-hmm. to enjoy our lives. Mm-hmm. And not just to, you know, scurry around trying to keep up with the, keep up with the um, you know, the latest. <clears throat> for us to enjoy our lives. He says, he goes, he blessed them. He says, be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. In the garden, it says, he said they were free to eat from anything in the the garden. He said they were free to work the garden. And so God kind of of defines life as, the good life as, you know, having enough, having the basic essentials met in our lives, but then having meaningful relationships, having meaningful work, having the freedom to be us. And to live the lives that God had really planned for us to live. And so he kind of sends us off into this massive playground. And we're free. We're free with him uh, at our backs, with him on our side to, to go and live our lives because we were created with so much potential in our lives. And, of course, so, so much of life, unfortunately, starts to get defined by our sin because we, because we give into it. And we use our freedom for that kind of stuff which only brings us down. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus comes to kind of, you know, to kind of inspire that fire again mm-hmm. in us. As one of us, as a normal guy mm-hmm. who grew up kind of right down the street in the neighborhood. And he inspires something in us and in humanity that we are created for something more. Let me ask you this, when it comes to greatness, you know, when we think about, you know, how the world defines greatness, what do you think about? How does, the, how does the world around us define greatness? Money and influence. Okay, money. Influence, yeah. Um, what else? Great. Yeah. I think proficiency. So, like Michael Jordan, or, you know, like somebody who is just really excellent at what they do, kind of better than everyone else around them. Okay. So, like performance... Excellence, proficiency. Okay. Yep. Career and status. Career, status. Okay, so money, influence, proficiency, career, status. That's how the world around us, around us kind of defines greatness. Anything else? Yeah. Likes and popularity. Likes, popularity, true. Obsession with likes. <laughs> Obsession with likes. Yes. Popularity. What else? Yeah. Well, I think those are true, but I think when you dig a little under the surface, you start asking, is that person happy? Do they have good relationships? Okay. Because I'll have this, like, patient sometimes, like, one, one guy is, like, he's a psychologist, and he's like, you know, I went to high school reunion, and I've got a lot of friends who are, like, way more successful. He was a professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, they've got, like, million-dollar houses. He goes, but, yeah, but their family relationships are not so good. Mm-hmm. And he's very happy when he looks at what's happened with his family, his mm-hmm. children, and his wife. And so I think if you scratch a little bit below that, then it's yes. kind of like, that that's like, might be your second look, but it's right. going to be a look that eventually you take, because you're going to be like, oh, that right. person is really awesome, but not that's not such an awesome situation. Yeah, that's true. It's totally true. It doesn't take us long to get there. 
And unfortunately, some of us can live our whole lives kind of chasing after all the things that the world says are great, but then end up realizing that, no, those weren't really the, the, the main thing. It's these other things that, that are kind of just below the surface. What else? Anything else come to mind? Yeah. Well, rooms, good looking. Okay. Style. Even though you are all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well groomed, good looks, style. style. And you know, Ryan, she was looking at you when she said that. I'm facing this way, but she's looking right at you. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually asking Ryan this morning not to judge my beard because I'm starting just to grow it in, and I, and I feel so insecure when I'm around. He's got it going. That's so true. Outward, outward appearance, you know, and, and all those kind of things. That some of the people that we judge sort of the greatest, or the people we want to be the most like. We don't know anything about them, but we know they're good looking. <laughs> and so it's kind of a funny thing, though, isn't it? Because 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 that's kind of presented to us kind of all day, every day. Those kind of those kind of values. Anything else you think of? Yeah. I think having family, like a large extended family or a close knit nuclear family, of the idea of like having someone to go home to and mm. the having a home life as well as having all the successes as well, yeah. having both. Okay. Okay, kind of having it all. Yeah, that's that's kind of challenging, isn't it? Sometimes to go, you know, that idea of having it all when we feel like sometimes we just don't have a whole lot of it. Um, look over in, uh, in in Mark chapter ten, because so that's kind of the how the world around us defines greatness. How did Jesus define greatness? It's interesting because Jesus is. One of the most outstanding, I believe the most outstanding human to have ever lived. And he conquered what no one else conquered. He conquered death. And he told us he would do it in detail before he did it. And so when we're talking about, when we're talking about greatness, how much greater is that that you overcome death and, and you rise from death? Like that's greater than any other feat that's ever been accomplished. Right? And so I think it's really important for us, okay, yeah, we're going we're gonna to listen, we're going to hear all this stuff that, that, that the world around us defines as greatness. But I think it only makes sense to go back to the, the master teacher of life and say, well, how do you define greatness? Yeah. And in Mark chapter 10, he does that. And it's kind of an interesting thing here. I'm going to read this, and I want to ask you, what kind of stands out to you right here? What kind of stands out to you right here? Jesus is talking with his guys and his team about greatness. In verse 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. All right, total setup. <laughs> verse 36 says, What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. He said, You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, he answered. And Jesus said to them, you will. <laughs> you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with you. Instead, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What stands out to you in this passage? Service. Service. Okay. Yes, service. He, 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 and he contrasts that with, with, um, with the, you know, the leaders of the day, and kind of, and, and you know, the, the power of the day. Yeah, Nate. I was just going to say, talk about the power of the day. Um, you know, he immediately says, "All right, you know, the rulers today, they lord over you. They, they don't let you forget who's in charge. Mm-hmm. But you are different. So mm-hmm. he like makes that distinction of right. You are different. Right. <laughs> right. You don't do that." Right, but not so with you. It's not how we do things. Great. Okay, great. What else? Kara? Something that just stood out to me is that he doesn't um, he doesn't take away the ambition that you, that you should have ambition to be great. Mm. Like right. Pursue greatness. Right. But here's how you do it. Mm. Right. He doesn't say don't want to be great. He says mm. go for it. Yes. But be a servant. Yes, it's always interesting. Interesting to me as a, as a once you know young man. I'm still a young man. I mean, I'm, I'm like I'm like I'm like just getting started, right? <laughs> but men are competitive, and men these guys are competing. It seems like they're always arguing, you know. And but he doesn't he doesn't put down their their desire to be great. He just channels it. Great, yeah. Okay. And I think. Uh, this is going back to you know your question of the world when the rest of the ten were indignant <coughs> with them is kind of also like well what what worldly things were they thinking well you should be this when you're the greatest mm. how they were feeling towards those two like well why should you be right. the seat not right. one of us so true and it's so much our tendency isn't it to, to Compare even on Jesus' team, which you know is filled with these, with these holy men, you know these apostles who aren't holy really at all, without a lot of growth in their life. But um, but even they're arguing about that. They're competitive towards one another, and they're kind of you know they're kind of seeping in. So Jesus goes, okay guys, let's talk, let's get together, let's 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 kind of let's figure this out a little bit, Susan. I was just thinking that I always think about holding Mackenzie, my daughter, for the first time when she was. Um, born and we wrapped her up like a little burrito, a little hot pink burrito. And, <laughs> and I remember like just looking at her, and, like you'd never like look at your kid and go, "I just hope you're so mediocre." <laughs> <laughs> and I think it goes back to what Ralph said. Like there is this like ima- like God, mm. Jesus is trying to go. I want you to be ambitious, but like right. the gift of like when I watch my daughter now at 22, and when she does the gift of service, it's what mm. fills her up the most. Like mm. the un- the unseen secret service mm. and that it's not the power or the prominence or the popularity that fills us up. It really leaves us empty when we're looking mm. for those things. But just the like that Jesus is trying to remind us service has such a like it's gonna come back to you even more mm. extraordinary. That is he refreshes others himself, gets refreshed like this incredible <laughs> like ability that when we go serve, God does something in us mm. that's powerful. Um but I love that he doesn't squash the ambition. It's like, no, your greatness is this, and you're going to see it when you act on it. Yeah. So. Well, even, even in the beginning of the Genesis passage, God is, seems to me God has put so much ambition in us. 
this desire to go, this desire to be, this desire to explore, to become, to fill the earth, to subdue it. And I think sometimes we, we can get worldly ambitious, but it's interesting because in other passages too, Jesus doesn't, doesn't squash the ambition. He just tries to channel it. Mm-hmm. So I think the ambition can get us to a good place if we'll learn from it. And, you know, and if we'll let it kind of, you know, that desire to do something great in our life. I don't know about you, but I want to do something great with my life. Mm-hmm. And my understanding of that has changed a lot as I've grown. Like, what is truly great? And I've seen this passage come to life so many times. Is that it's how Jesus defines it. And it's how we define it. It's a lot of like what even Carl was talking about a little bit earlier. We, we see all the trappings out there, and we're kind of going for those, and we're going to kind of have all the, all the stuff that we just mentioned. But then at the end of that, though, what we're really looking at in one another's lives is, is did our lives count? Did our lives make a difference? Was it, was it important relationally that we were here? And so that's what Jesus is saying, is, is this greatness is service. Greatness is using your unique giftedness that God created you for to serve. Mm -hmm. And I I really believe that that's when we are the most joyful, when we're the most alive. It's not when we're trying to use somebody else's gifts to serve or somebody else's definition of cool to try to become that. But when when we really understand who we are and we're using who we are and our giftedness, our special, unique, amazing giftedness to make a difference in the world and to love someone else, to love God, to love one another with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's when we start to come alive. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus is the example of that. As someone who used his, his special giftedness to serve humanity. You know, I read a quote by uh, Tim Cook, who's the uh, CEO of, of Apple. And he was talking about how he said, you know, all people, really, they, we all have the same, the same mission. And I was kind of interested to hear him say this because he's not, a, he's not a Jesus follower that I know of. But he was saying, you know, all of us have the same mission, to, to serve humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because I think no matter if you're rich or poor, no matter your ethnic background, I think we all understand that intrinsically. When we can reach out and make a difference using what God has given us, then, then that's greatness. That's greatness. It's so special. And it, and it makes such a, a, an impact on the world, on our church, on our families, on our communities, on our workplaces. Look over in Romans chapter 12. Come on, Steve. Romans chapter 12. So, you know, um, Mackenzie, I know we've got a few Mackenzies here in the room. Mackenzie, our daughter, she just, uh, she just graduated nursing school. And went down to to, um, to uh, Atlanta to get a job in nursing. And so this is a real education for me. I, I think nurses is like nursing is like the coolest profession. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because she, Kenzie had this dream of working at this particular hospital system in Atlanta. And uh, and so she got an interview um, in the spring with this hospital system in Atlanta. And uh, so she was so ecstatic. She kind of bought her cool, like, business, you know, interview suit. She went in, Sue and her uh, went down to Atlanta. She went in for an interview. And uh, she was interviewing for more of an emergency kind of ICU uh, uh, nurse's role in this hospital. 
And uh, and so she didn't get the job. She interviewed for two of them, and she didn't get the, the didn't get the position. And one of the things we kind of learned from that was that she was kind of interviewing for the wrong job. She was interviewing for a role that she really wasn't suited for. She's smart. She's uh, she's she's studied hard as a nurse. And uh, but she when she was asked a question, just for example, in that interview process, she said the the the, the interviewer said to her, she said, in our system. We uh, had, in the last 15 days, we had 18 children die. How would you handle that? And I, and I think what I learned from that is Kenzie could not handle that at all. That would be way too much for her. And I think what they saw in her is Kenzie is a very tender-hearted person. And, and I think they saw in her that, yeah, she's very eager, she's very enthusiastic, but that kind of environment wouldn't work with her giftedness. In fact, it would kind of crush her giftedness. There's some nurses out there who that's what really they're gifted for. Mm-hmm. If they're going to they're going to run into an emergency situation, all their all of their smarts and all of their you know all of their uh, nursing you know acumen is going to come is going to is going to come into play, and they're going to be great in that environment. So in Kenzie's mind, those are the cool nurses. The cool nurses are the emergency nurses. The tough ones. And if you're going to be a tough, cool, with it, you know, on the front lines nurse, then that's probably the nurse you're going to be. And she kind of minimized her gifts and her talents because she wanted to be one of what she thought of as the cool nurse. And and oftentimes we think of the people who are not like us as the cool people. And, and so, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're a point guard, you want to be the center. If you're the center, you want to be the point guard. And so, and so she was kind of thinking of it this way. So we kind of engaged back into the interview process. And she, we were going down to Atlanta, and so she got a couple of interviews on her way. We were road tripping down, we are having a blast. She got a couple of calls and interviews with, um, with some really great hospitals there. But what we, what we discovered is that she, again, was applying for the wrong role in nursing. And so she applied for a different role. She applied for a role in an inpatient pediatric rehab, which is a lot more according to her strengths, her gifts, because she's very empathetic. She's very wanting to connect with people. She's very into sort of the care, sort of after the trauma, to kind of help somebody to, 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 you know, to um, transition back into their daily life. And so she interviewed for those jobs, and she got them. Mm. And it's interesting to me because she's now about four months into her nursing career, and we were even talking with her this morning, and she's so happy, and she's so she's so joyful because she's kind of found this place where she feels so useful. She's found her sweet spot, and it's and, and as her dad, I'm like, wow, it's, it's it's so it's so great to hear that in her voice that she's using her gifts to serve. Look over in Romans 12. This passage really speaks to that. And one of the things I, I want us to, to think about is what are our gifts? What are our, our gifts? What has God uniquely put into us? What do we bring to the table? Um, naturally. What kind of gets us excited about life? What, what kind of gets us out there you know, in, in, engaged and involved. Um, you know, they talk about kind of, we soon I talk about that as kind of our voice. You know, is, is what, what's our voice? You know, it's kind of that intersection between, you know, what do you like to do, what are you good at, and what serves others. 
What is that for you? I know for me sometimes when I'm asked that question, I have a hard time responding. And, and early on, what I thought of gifts as is more like talents. Well, I can run fast or I can draw. Those are kind of gifts. But, you know, the scripture here kind of presents gifts as a little something different. And I think what, how I kind of think of these as sort of the love gifts. These are our ways. These are the gifts that we're given to be able to love and serve others. And to love and serve God. So look here in Romans chapter 12. It says in verse 3, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body and many members, and those members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are, we, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And I love verse 9. Love must be sincere. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I want you to kind of look at this list for a minute and kind of think about your, your gifts. What, what do you relate to in that list? <clears throat> What kind of resonates with you? We're not going to talk about it here because I want you just to kind of think about it a little bit and to kind of consider it. One of the things that I think is so interesting about this list is it, is it, is it elevates things to a level that oftentimes we, we tend to minimize. Mm-hmm. Like the gift of showing mercy, mm-hmm. for example. You know, it's interesting, that gift in this list is, is right up there with leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right up there with prophesying. You know, it's right up there with these other things. But I think oftentimes the person who is really good at showing mercy might not feel like they have the cool gifts. You know, they might not feel like that, that they're, because, because oftentimes that person isn't really concerning, concerned with kind of being up front. Or kind of, you know, having the, the whatever, you know, being able to speak publicly. And, and, and that's fine. But what they want to do is they want to show mercy. It's really important for that person to be merciful, to be empathetic, to, to um, understand, to listen to the person next to you. And, and that's such an important gift. Mm-hmm. And in terms of our community, our body, our church, that gift is as important or more important than, than so many others because we have such a need for that. And so, as even for us, you know, as 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 we start to grow and develop, it's so important that we kind of figure out, well, what are my gifts? What do I bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And we celebrate that one in one another. We acknowledge that and we affirm that in one another to be able to to make the difference that God created us to make. Mm-hmm. And that's what He's talking about here: is what are your gifts, and how can you use them to love and to serve? And so, one of the things we wanted to do, kind of along those lines, is show you a little video. You recognize that? You recognize that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a wake-up call. The gift Euro has. You understand? <laughs> <laughs> you know what that call? 
Yeah, um, when I lived in Connecticut, our kids went to this uh, middle school, and when Nick was in eighth grade, he had this incredible social studies teacher, but um, one of the things that she asked all the students to do was to research a problem in the world and then do something about it. And so people could research, you know, steroids and write a letter to the um, to the commissioner in sports, and, or they could, they could do anything they wanted to. And so this video is basically kind of kind of this teacher. She's just my daughter had her too, but she just did, had this extraordinary gift of being able to help kids kind of find their own gift, like what. What's the problem? What's the need? And what can you do about it? And so this video is what Nick has been, the gift kind of Nick found. He basically was watching a television commercial one day, and he's going to describe it, and it made him go, how can I use a gift that I have to make an impact? And he's been doing this for the last 12 or 14 years, and his, his tagline for his nonprofit is basically, do you for others? And I think that's a lot of what this eighth grade teacher brought out in him is that all of us just do you like do what is uniquely you and just go do it for other people and I think this is kind of a, an example of what has helped him in knowing that even at an early age as an eighth grader it really was him being about serving really kind of changed his life and so it's kind of a, um, an, a an example of kind of how this eighth grade teacher really kind of inspired these young people to be able to realize wait I can do something maybe it's a little but then what God kind of turned it into is is really special. So, plus, you guys get to meet my family a little bit. So, like, yeah. cool. Kind of like. <laughs> we can the lights. Is there a place to. Thanks, Ron. <coughs> Hi, my name is Nick Shaw. Back when I was 13 years old, I lived in Connecticut. Had an awesome family, and I lived in a great town. I had a pretty normal middle school life. But I'll never forget, I sit down on the couch like most 13-year-olds do, and watching TV. And a commercial came on about a little African boy uh, who was my age, but he lived in poverty. And I remember hearing about a lot of the things that went on with kids my age around the world. How there's preteens out there that are ahead of their household, or how there's little girls who traveled miles and hours just to get clean water for their families. Or little boys who uh, were forced into violence and into war. I heard about how disease and hunger and fear and violence described the lives of so many kids my age around the world. I remember wanting so badly just to do something to help. I felt so privileged and so grateful for the life that I had that I felt like it was my responsibility to give back. But I had no idea what I was going to do. I wasn't famous, I was young, I didn't have any money. Didn't have an influence. All I knew is that I loved basketball. So I decided to go together to come out the basketball tournament as a service project for my middle school to raise money for kids in Kenya. It was called Jam Boss. That year we raised just under three grand. And I learned something huge that year. I started to believe that I could make a difference in the life of another kid by just deciding to care. So we started dreaming. Jam Quest began to grow.
over the next several years, we raised tens of thousands of dollars, spoke to thousands of kids, we helped dozens of kids in need have a chance to go to school. And then finally, after seven years of JamQuest being around, I got to go to Kenya and visit some of the kids who needed help out. And I was blown away by what I saw. While I was there, there was this amazing young lady named Valentine that I met. She came over to me and said, Hey Nick, can I tell you a story? I said, yeah, of course. She said, you know, when I was 13 years old, I got pregnant, and I gave birth to a little girl. And at that moment, I had no idea what I was going to do. I felt dark. I felt alone. I felt scared. I felt like my whole future was, was in question. My dad could barely support my brother and I. He, he didn't have a job. He was a single parent. So we had no idea what I was going to do. I couldn't go to school. I felt like hope was lost. I felt so scared. so much compassion and just feeling so so sorry that she had to go through that. Uh, it was just not even close to what I had to go through when I was 13 years old. And she said, then Nick, then JamQuest found me and gave me the fees to be able to go to school. And it was that moment that I felt like I was out of darkness and into the light. And it's amazing because Valentine went on to finish high school. And she wanted to start her own small business. And now she actually volunteers for an organization that goes into the schools and tries to mentor teenagers and help them try to realize their potential. And she looked at me and she said, Nick, I came to visit you today and say hello because my little six-year-old daughter wanted me to tell you that you helped change her life. And there are so many stories just like Valentine's. With your help, there can be so many more. You know, changing the world without each of us making a decision. A decision to care. A decision to use our talents, our gifts, our opportunities to help somebody else. And when we decide to care, it ignites a cycle of emotion, a cycle of hope. Robert Kennedy says, each time a man stands up for an ideal, or acts to improve the lot of others, or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope. And those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Right now, there are 2.2 billion kids in our planet. About half of them live in some sort of poverty. Imagine if one billion kids decide to rise up and to help one billion other kids break the cycle of poverty in their lives. One kid at a time. One kid helping one kid break the cycle of poverty. So let's use what we have, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little, to serve, to give, to help others, and in doing so, sending forth a tiny ripple of hope. Let's go out and let's make a difference together. Go to jamquest.org and join us in our One Billion Kids Global Initiative and learn how you can change the world in your own community.
So over the next few weeks and months or however amount of time, we're, we are going to have a lot of conversations about, well, what are your gifts? Mm -hmm. And how can, you, how can you step into them and use your gifts to, to change the world? And I think to me one of the crazy things about that is that there was a little light that went on in Nick's life that something that he could do in Connecticut could actually affect a kid his age around the world. And that was a profound sort of understanding that really changed him and changed us as a family. Mm -hmm. Because because it wasn't complex. It was simple. And that's just that decision to care. And that that sort of love your neighbor as yourself with the people in our neighborhood, the people at work, for, you know, having a concern for the the greater good. It's 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 amazing how that sets that ripple into effect, into effect mm -hmm. like Robert Kennedy was talking about. And it seems small from our perspective, but it can become so large because one of the things that's interesting to me is it's the kids that Nick helps, has helped, and he's currently helping about 45 kids get through um, their secondary education in Kenya. And he pays for them to go, to go through school. Is that all of them, pretty much all of them, come back saying the same thing. They say, well, you've really helped me. Now I want to go out and help other people. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that, that cycle of hope. Mm -hmm. that when, that when, when, when someone reaches out to us, we want to return the favor mm -hmm. because it's made such a difference in our lives. And, and so instead of a cycle mm -hmm. of hatred or a cycle of prejudice, it, it puts in emotion a cycle of, of, uh, of hope and love and faith. And, and it's amazing how how profound that can be. Mm -hmm. And we don't know where it ends, you know, we don't know where it goes, but we feel a deep sense of meaning when we're a part of it, mm -hmm. using our gifts to serve. Let's pray. We're going to enjoy the communion together. We're going to take the bread, which represents Jesus' body, mm -hmm. the, the juice, which represents his blood. But let's consider his statement in Mark chapter 10, because this is Jesus' cycle of hope that he set in motion. You know, it's interesting because Jesus said this. He says, Whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus was a slave. He made himself a slave. It's crazy to think about that. But he made himself your slave. And he made himself my slave. In order to help spark something great in us mm -hmm. because we were created for greatness. And that's Jesus' pledge and his commitment to us, mm -hmm. dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Let's consider that as we take communion today. And uh, let's, let's, let's express some thanks. Mm -hmm. But also let's express, hey Jesus, I'm going to follow in your footsteps mm -hmm. and, and learn on your dying. So let's pray together and let's enjoy the communion together.